Um, so it's good to be together, and it is good to be in this second week of Advent. And I hope that your Advent has been going well. hope that your Thanksgiving season's gone well, that you're coming into Advent in a good place. And we have just started this brand new sermon series that we are calling Advent 2022, A King and a Kingdom. A King and a Kingdom. And we started this series discussing how there's a tension in culture that really values the values of the kingdom that Jesus brought, but they don't value the king of those values, the king of the kingdom, Jesus Christ. We talked about how last week and this whole time, we're going to be talking about how people love the idea of love and hope and peace and joy, but they reject at the same time Jesus is king. And so there's this constant tension all around us right now. We even looked at some examples last week of how people are rejecting that. Last week we talked about how Advent is a very important time of reflection and preparation and how we are to examine our bodies, our minds, and our souls and seek the Lord in these moments. And we come together this Advent to do that. Today, the Advent theme, as read by the Wise Family, thank you very much, is that of preparation. And we have that opportunity then to look into our lives and to consider what are the obstacles that get in the way of us and Jesus in this season. We're focusing on our vertical relationship with God, and we're looking at the idea of preparation and particularly calling out the obstacles. And what better way to do that than to talk about John the Baptist? John the Baptist, the ultimate preparation person, the ultimate setup man for Jesus Christ. John the Baptist was an incredible uh, story in the Bible, an incredible um, lesson that we can learn today. And I'm going to read actually out of Luke chapter 3, verses 4 through 10, as we look at the life of John the Baptist. So first of all, let's start Luke chapter 3, verse 4. It says this, now John had a cameled hair garment and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and honey. Thank you for enduring that conversation with the kids. Then people from Jerusalem, all of Judea, and all the vicinity of the Jordan were going out to him, going out to John. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now when John saw that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were coming out to be baptized, he said to them, "'You brood of vipers!' Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And here is the verse for today. Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that God is able to raise up children by Abraham from these very stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. This is Luke chapter 3. So a couple thoughts. Let's just pause there for a minute about John. Just to be clear, John was a fairly odd person. Very unique, right? John did not conform to any religious rules. He was his own person. He had a camel hair garment with the leather belt and all of it. He ate bugs and honey. And he was a wild man. Now we know also about John the Baptist that he was the second cousin of Jesus. That he was related to Jesus. And so probably growing up, they would have seen each other at least at the three main Jewish festivals. So there would have been some interaction that John would have had about with Jesus throughout his life. And we know that John was from a priestly family, that his father was the priest Zechariah. 
Scripture tells us. And in those days, it was very common for a son to inherit his father's occupation. So it stands the reason that John was on a priestly track. But John, like many things in his life, went rogue. He pushed against the norm of the typical priestly endeavor where you would have been raised in the temple. John actually went out to the desert. He went into the wilderness, the Bible says, and that is where he met God. And he did these things because God wanted to use John's story to highlight what was foretold in the Old Testament to come of the coming Messiah. John was absolutely old school. It was almost as if he was an Old Testament prophet. Later in Luke, it even says that all the prophets testified up until John. So in a sense, John was the last Old Testament prophet in New Testament times. Jesus also had some very strong words that he said about John. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said that John was a great man. He said, of all those born of a woman, none is greater than John the Baptist. So it really shouldn't surprise us when we read this scripture that we see that John was doing miraculous, great things and that people were coming out to see him. And John had a very important message that he was very bold about. He probably didn't care much about what people even thought about the way he delivered his message. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. John's message to the people in this preparation of the coming Messiah was that we are to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, when the people came out to him, we stay, uh, we're going to go back to our scripture, Luke chapter 3, verse 10. The people came out to him, and they heard him saying this, this idea of producing fruit in keeping with repentance. And they said, how? What do we do? And so John says in verse 10, the, or the people said, what should we do then, the crowd asked. And in verse 11, John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even the tax collectors came out to be baptized and they said, teacher, they asked, what should we do? And John says, don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then the soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. John actually gives some incredibly tangible, intangible ideas to the people of what keeping with repentance looks like. Now, I love uh, if-then statements. I love if-then statements. I love these sort of equations because they help me to make sense of what probably is a complicated situation. If you do something, then this happens. If-then statements give us a direction. They answer our questions. And John, the Baptist, in Luke 3, gives us actually a very compelling if-then statement, especially when we think of what God is doing in our lives through Advent. And especially as we think about these kingdom values that Jesus calls us to. And the if-then statement that we see from this biblical narrative is this. If we repent of our sins, then we produce the generous life that we are called to. If we repent, then we produce the generous life that essentially Jesus calls us to. If we repent, then we produce. 
John links repentance with generosity and love. He says essentially that if you want to show the fruit of the kingdom of God in your life, you need to repent. And in that repentance then, there grows out of us a a fruit of generosity. Now, spiritual fruit can be born from many things, and we talk about that here, right? If we read our Bibles, we know that there's great fruit that can be produced from that. If we spend time in community with one another, there's great fruit that can be produced from that. We know that if we spend time in worship and prayer, that there's great fruit that can be produced from that. But John the Baptist, in all of his fiery preaching, in all of his mandates, in his in-your-face kind of mentality, is saying and commands us to repent and keep, fruit, keep producing fruit in repentance. Now, repentance is actually a really tricky thing. And in some ways, we might even think the word repentance is a little bit of a complicated word. Some of us might have some baggage with that word. And I imagine um, the old-time preachers standing over the top of the pulpit, pointing fingers, saying, you need to repent, you brood of vipers, right? And I wonder if there's some baggage that we might have from that. It can be a little bit of a dirty word for us, depending on the situation. And yet I would tell you that whether you know it or not, you probably repent every single day of something. Repentance is simply changing our mind and going in a different direction. That's all it is. Changing our mind and going in a different direction. And most people experience some sort of repentance every day. I experienced repentance on Thursday. We had a very wonderful Thursday in the Sacconi household. Our little boy, Ethan, who's sitting in the very back, he turned eight years old. Eight years old. We had a great celebration, a birthday celebration in our house all day long. And one of the traditions in our home on the birthdays of our kids is um, an early morning birthday fairy arrives in our house and decorates the house for the birthday. Usually that birthday fairy is my wife, Maria. He's sitting back there. Of course, it's not like Santa. But the birthday fairy decorates and we get ready for the birthday celebration of the day. As a part of the birthday fairy celebration, um, the, the husband of the birthday fairy <laughs> goes out and buys donuts for the, that birthday kid. So for this example, last Thursday was for Ethan. So I got up at 5.30 in the morning uh, brushed my teeth, threw in some clothes, jumped in the truck, and I was to the best donut shop in the Twin Cities by 6 a.m. Do you know what the best donut shop is? It's Jerry's Foods. Jerry's Foods. Now listen, I haven't been to every donut shop, so I have little limited opinion, okay? But Jerry's Foods, which is a supermarket, of course, has the best donut. You've got to go and try it before you judge me, okay? They've got, now my favorite are apple fritters. I don't know what yours are, but the apple fritters are amazing. They've got regular apple fritters, berry apple fritters, the ones with maple on top and caramel. It's unbelievable. It's decadent in that way, right? And so I was there at 6 a.m. I was the first one in the door. They open at 6. I was the first one to the bakery section. The case had not been opened yet. And in all its glory, those donuts were sitting there. And I unpacked the little box. You know, they make you build your own box at Jerry's. So I built my box. I'm thinking, what's my little boy going to love? For his donut. So here's the fruity pebbles, sprinkled, you know, donut. Grab that one, put it in the box. Grab like four uh, uh, apple fritters. Grab the number of other chocolate, custard, like the best donuts you can imagine. A dozen in this box. And I closed that box. And you know what I thought? I can't eat these donuts today at all. And I'm like disappointed and a little grumpy because I love 
donuts. They're a weakness for me. They're like a secret sin. I'm confessing that to you in front of you today, right? And the reason I didn't want to eat those donuts is because I'm envisioning in a month's time walking on a beach in Cancun, Mexico, right? And the donuts are the antithesis of the beach body, which I don't know that I'll ever have anyways, but the donuts are counter, right, that. So I had to make a decision to repent of the donuts, walk away from the donuts. And I even, I'm telling you, I got those donuts home before everybody got up. I put them out on the counter, put the plates and the napkins there, cut some of the donuts in half, had frosting on my hand. You know what I'm talking about? Didn't lick the frosting because I didn't want the calories. I washed my hands, I shut the cupboard, and I walked away thinking, repent. And those donuts got eaten quite quick in our house. Not by me, but there was one half of my favorite apple fritter that sat in our little glass case for two days. And every time I walked by that glass case, I saw the face of Satan tempting me to eat that donut. But I did not do it. I didn't eat the donut. I didn't eat the cake. I didn't have ice cream. I'm trying not to eat those calories right now. I will someday, I promise. We'll celebrate with donuts together. But for now, cutting back on the calories. We repent all the time from just little things. But repentance, of course, goes much deeper than feelings. Let me say that again, because this is the key moment. Repentance, of course, goes deeper than our feelings. Repentance in our society is very difficult. Repentance in our society is extremely hard because we live in a world that says this, if it doesn't feel good, then don't do it. If it doesn't feel good, then don't do it. That the world says that you and I should be governed by our appetite. That when there's a donut in front of us, we should just eat it. I'm not judging you if you had a donut this morning at all, I promise. If it feels good, it must be good. That's the narrative of the world. And maybe that's what John was so angry against when the people from the city started coming out because he probably saw through their desire to really be baptized. Maybe they saw it as an easy way to be forgiven of their sins. Maybe that's why John said, you brood of vipers, right? He knew that there was more cost to discipleship than easy repentance. Repentance is hard. It's difficult. It's a high calling. It costs us something. It doesn't come easy and it doesn't always feel good. Repentance calls us to do something that we don't feel like doing. We'd rather keep on sinning. That's why sinning is so enticing. But repentance calls us to a better way. Repentance is consistently, and I think we have this on the screen, Kristen. Repentance is consistently orienting ourselves back to God. Walk out of here today thinking about that line. Repentance is consistently orienting ourselves back to God. Now, Advent is this time of preparation, as we talked about this morning a number of different times. It's a time for us to look into the deep places of our lives, the intimate places, the heart places that are governed by our appetites. The appetite that aligns with maybe the world and ultimately leaves us thirsting for more, so much more. But the goal is not to feel good. The goal is to be different than the world says. This is the command of Jesus. And we do hard things because that's what we were called to do. Jesus says, walk with me, follow me, leave your old life in the past and follow me. 
Taking up our cross and following Jesus is not an easy calling. It is a daily calling. Every day we need to repent. And I actually think a great example of this is the AA community, Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous, AA, when they get together, and you probably know this, they sit down in a circle and every single time they meet, every single person says, hello, my name is so-and-so, and I'm an alcoholic. And they say that even if they haven't had a drink in 30 years. It's been 30 years since they've had a drink. And they still confess to that group that day that they're an alcoholic. And it's because they know that it's such an easy step to fall back into that which would control them. Repentance is consistently orienting ourselves back to God. Now, sometimes we confuse confession with repentance. Sometimes we confuse, sometimes I confuse confession with repentance. Confession can lead to repentance. Confession is incredibly important and it can lead to repentance. We love the confession that we say on most Sundays, even here as a church. We didn't do it this morning, but a lot of times Jamie will lead us in a corporate confession that we say together. And then Jamie in almost a priestly act offers us the forgiveness of our sins as we've confessed. And we do this because there's power in us saying a confession together. We are saying that we are all sinners in this place. What a beautiful thing to connect us to. That we all need the grace of Jesus. Not any one of us has any claim on God over another. We get to be sinners together and strive towards a better way. That's the power of confession. But the power is not in the confession that we say. The real power... And the real fruit is in the repentance of our lives. When I was a young, very young college student, pre-dating my beautiful bride, Maria, I was a young college student. I was actually not sure where I wanted to go to school. And I was thinking about going to Northwestern College, which you were just at Northwestern College yesterday, right? Here in the Twin Cities. And I was thinking I might go play soccer there. I was thinking maybe I would even try out for the basketball team. Who knows, right? And so I was spending time on campus with the people I knew down at Northwestern and those two teams, working out with them, getting to know the coaches, figuring out if I had the ability to make it. Um, and I got to know a number of students there before I was ever enrolled, before I ever went to school there. And I actually, uh, for some of my friends, I got invited to go to chapel one day. Back, this must have been 1994 or 95, somewhere in that time frame. And it ended up being a historical chapel at this university, at Northwestern College. Um, it's now Northwestern University, right? But it used to be Northwestern College. And back then, I think they required students to go to chapel. So there's like 800 and some people in the room. And I sat with my friends. And um, it was a peculiar chapel day because there was two, two microphones up on the stage. So it didn't look like any fanfare whatsoever. Well, come to find out, the speakers that day were two students from Wheaton College in Wheaton, Illinois, in Chicagoland area. And the Wheaton had experienced an unbelievable revival just weeks earlier. And maybe even some of you heard this. They experienced an unbelievable revival. And so they decided to send their students out to other Bible colleges, Bible universities. I, I don't even know what the limitations were to talk about the revival that had happened on campus at Wheaton. So we had two Wheaton students that were our speakers that day for the Northwestern Chapel. And I'm sitting around my friends. I don't really know anybody else. And these two 
Wheaton students stand up on stage and said, we just experienced a revival. They tell their stories, and then they said this, the revival started when we started confessing our sins. It's like 1995. And as soon as those students, these like, you know, 20, 21-year-old Young, young woman and a young man said that word confession, you could see something start to happen. And all of a sudden, students started to stand up at the Northwestern Chapel, and they lined up on the outsides of the chapel. And I'm like, what's going on here? The next thing you know, one student after another started going up on stage and confessing their sins. And it was powerful. It was awkward. It was hard to hear. And you could see the spirit chipping away at people's lives. They would get up on stage and say, hi, my name is so-and-so and I'm addicted to pornography. And I want to get away from it. And they would come down off the stage and people would surround them and pray for them. There was tears and it was a real moment. And I mean, for two hours that went on, including some of the people that I was around, some of the people that I knew quite well, some of the basketball guys that I was playing with. And it was interesting because I wondered in that moment if that confession moment would lead to a long-term relationship with Jesus. I wondered. And as I got to know some of the people over the next couple of months, I would see that that moment of confession, that kind of in-your-feelings moment, didn't lead to the fruit because they had not repented fully. Now, I'm sure there was many, many people at that chapel that day that actually repented and gave their full hearts to Christ. But confession is only the doorway. It's an incredibly important doorway that gets us to lead to repentance. Maybe Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it perfectly. He said this, um, if you board the wrong train, it is of no use running along the corridor in the other direction. If you board the wrong train, it's of no use running along the corridor in the other direction. We used to live in Chicago, and Maria may remember this. There was a moment where um, I was taking, I think, my oldest son down to go see the Cubs play at Wrigley, and we decided to take the L train there. And there's a point where you have to transfer trains. And I did what any non-Chicagoan would probably make the mistake of doing. I got on the wrong train when I transferred. And all of a sudden, Caleb and I were standing there. I think we started going north. We were supposed to go south. And there's really no other feeling. And maybe you've experienced it. There's no, it's such a unique feeling to stand in that train and to realize I'm going the wrong way. You want to turn around and run down the train, it's not going to get you there. Because the train is still moving. Confession is like being on the wrong train and trying to run down that train. But repentance is getting off that train and getting on the right train, going in the right direction. It is turning away from that which is not God-honoring in our lives. Confession is amazing. Confession is vital. Confession is important. But repentance is where the lifelong journey with Jesus happens. It is putting action to our words. Repentance causes us to look at what changes in our lives need to happen. And I would ask you to consider this today. Our church family, what are those things that are in our lives that God is calling us to repent from? Is there a place in your life that you try to over-control that you need to repent of? Do you need to repent from criticizing somebody else in your life or a group of people in the world? Is there a secret sin in your life that God is calling you to repent from? 
What about repentance from greed? Do we need to repent from our greed? If we repent of our sins, then we produce the generous fruit that Jesus calls us to. And what does repentance lead to? It leads to what uh, John the Baptist says is generosity. Remember earlier when we read our scriptures and John asked, or those people came to John and they said, what must we do? And they heard this message of repentance and John said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And they said, well, what does that mean? How do we do that? And John gave some very important and specific examples to follow and they were all linked to generosity. Producing the fruit of the Spirit is by giving to others. But there's more to the biblical narrative of generosity than just a requirement, than just a duty. Isaiah chapter 32, verse 8, and I think this is on the screen, Kristen, says this, but generous people plan to do what is generous, and they stand firm in their generosity. And simply, I would say this, being generous is not something we do from a biblical perspective as those trying to follow Jesus. It is who we are. And Paul gets this. And he gives these people who ask the question three very specific examples of what the overflow of generosity looks like. He first of all names a tangible generosity. He says, do you have two coats? Give somebody who has none the other, one of the others. You have extra food? Distribute it evenly. Give of your possessions to be a blessing to other. He, he says in doing so, you are bearing the fruit of repentance. The second thing that John, John the Baptist names is a generous integrity. He says, don't, he says to the tech tax collectors, don't collect any more than you need. In making decisions in our lives, I wonder what this would look like for us. Would it be something related to our work or our personal lives? Is there an integrity issue that instead of following the path of the world to, to only make your career advance, maybe there's a moment of sacrifice needed. Maybe there's some way God is calling us to be generous in a moment of personal, generous integrity. And then the third thing that John lists is a generous attitude. He says to the soldiers, be content with your pay. I thought that was an interesting phrase. And this isn't to suggest, everybody hear this, that you shouldn't hope for a Christmas bonus this year if you're going to get one. I don't know how that works in your life. It isn't to suggest that you shouldn't hope for a Christmas bonus. It's to suggest that no matter what comes, we should give thanks to God and be content. There's a generous attitude that recognizes the moment in our life that we are thankful. I struggle with this. And we all are called to live a repentant life that leads to generosity. Those who live with an overflowing generosity, see the world different because they see the world through God's economy. We reject the pattern of the world. Do not conform to this world. Instead, see the world the way that God does. Live into the kingdom values that Jesus brought, that John preached of. It is God's economy. Repenting, this turning away from those things that drive us further away from God, gives us selfless eyes for the world rather than selfish eyes for ourselves. We begin to see people in our lives, around the world, and in situations the way that God sees them. And the best part is that we see 
God calling to live into the kingdom values of generosity for others. So let's apply this for a moment. Now, in about, I don't know, three minutes or so, I'm going to actually break us up into small groups in the room. This is not something we normally do, okay? But because there's no music today, because it's kind of an audible day, if you know what that means, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to ask you actually to share um, your reflections from some of the words today, okay? And if this makes you uncomfortable, I just want to apologize, especially if you're new here today. We love our community. We spend a lot of time together, so this is not that different from what we normally do on a Sunday, especially when we go downstairs and eat at Soul Food. But there's some things that I want you to share out loud in a group together to digest this spiritual dynamic. But what I'm not going to ask you in that group time is what I'm going to ask you right now. And if you were going to apply repentance, I would ask you to think about this in three different ways. What do you need to repent of right now? Is there, number one, a broken relationship in your life? that you maybe have participated in in some way that you need to repent of? Number two, is there an unnamed sin that God has called you to let go of and repent and go the other direction? And number three, is there maybe a stinginess or some sort of selfishness that you have been wrestling with that only in your heart you know that God is calling you to repent of? And then let's apply generosity. Maybe number one, there's someone close to you in your life. Now, a lot of times when we think of the word generosity, we oftentimes think of financial generosity, and certainly it can be that, but generosity is a whole lot more than just finances. It's sharing your time, your talent, your treasure. It's sharing your heart, your home. It's being generous with all of who you are. Is there someone in your life that has a need that you have the means to meet? Number two, is there something related to our church when it comes to generosity that God is calling you to. Uh, We are in a very unique season as New City Covenant Church, a season of growth, a season of vision. And generosity calls us to be all in with each other. And certainly there's a financial dynamic to that, and I'm so thankful for that part. But there's also a support for one another and a support for our future. We've been talking a lot about what is our vision for the future. I can't think of a better vision than to say to each other and our community that we are trying to live repentant lives that lead to generosity. Generosity for one another and generosity for this beautiful community that God has called us to. What a vision. Repentant lives that lead to generosity. And then is there something bigger? Is there a global movement that God has called you to be generous towards? Some sort of effort in the world that you are committed to that you want to continue to be generous. And let me just say this as we close down. Let me be clear. We don't repent to get God's grace. We already have the grace of Jesus. That's the unmerited favor, the special gift that God gave us through the birth, the life, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We repent because it dictates the overflow of our lives. And by repenting, we are living into this calling to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. We lean into this calling to be generous and the generosity overflows. I'll close with this illustration. Um, Probably around 2003, Marie and I lived in West Michigan and we hung out almost every week with another couple. They're dear friends of ours. And we would watch TV together, series, shows, whatever, and we would hang out with them and just do fun things. And one time, and I cannot for the life of me remember what 
they were asking us to do, but it cost money, money that we didn't have. And so I said in the conversation with this other couple, we, we can't do that. We don't have the money. And I'm talking like 50, 100 bucks. I don't even remember what the situation was, but it was more money than we had at the time. It wasn't an absorbent amount of money. But I said, I'm sorry, we, we can't afford to do that right now. And almost without thinking, the wife and the, of the other couple just says, oh, well, you know what? We'll, we'll pay for you guys. We'll, we'll give you the money to go. And I, I don't know if it was a dinner, if it was a, I don't remember. It doesn't matter. And I said in my pride, no. No, no, no. We can't, can't accept that from you, right? We don't want that. It's okay. Don't, you guys just go and have a good time, and we'll just see you next Monday when we watch CSI Miami or whatever we were watching together, right? And they're like, no, 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 seriously. We want to give you the you know, 50, 100 bucks to go and do this thing. And I'm like, no, I'm Italian. I'm stubborn. I'm not going to do that. I'm sorry. We're not going to do that. And I will never forget when this woman like, got super serious in her eye, and she looked at me, and she says, listen to me. Take the money. If you don't, you rob me of blessing you. And I was like, holy smokes. I hadn't even thought about it like that. That actually in her giving us the gift, she was leaning into the blessing that she was called to. I said, we're in. We'll do it. Let's go. Now, you know what I didn't say to her? I didn't say, hey, Ivana, that was her name. Um, Did you repent of your sin? And this is why the overflow of your generosity is coming out. I didn't say that, right? But I got to experience what it looked like. These are two dear people who love the Lord and were doing their best to follow Jesus. And the overflow of their life, they didn't have very much. They had probably less than we did. But they gave from that overflow. And it is stuck with me all the time. And isn't that the truth? That when we are generous, we also get to be blessed. It's an incredible calling. It's an incredible counting that is counter-cultural to the world. And listen, friends, we do it in the name of Jesus. We don't do it because it's the right thing to do during Christmas season, because the the non-spiritual Christmas carols might be on. We do it because Jesus calls us to repent and to give, to repent and to be generous. If we repent of our sins, then we produce the generous life that Jesus calls us to. Now, to kind of finish things off today, I want to break into some groups, maybe three or four people. Let's keep them about that size. So if you're new, I'm sorry to make you uncomfortable. It's a little bit of what we do. And I'm just going to take us through four easy discussion questions that we're going to talk about before we come and take communion together. It won't be very long, I promise. But if you could break it up into groups of three or four people right now, and then we'll, I'll tell you our first discussion question. Okay, ready? This is, this is hard for us. We can do it. On your mark, get set, go. Let's stand up or turn to the people around you, and then I'll tell you our first question. Up, oh, a group of five is fine. You're great. Okay, first question. Question number one. Um, in like 30 seconds, because remember, these are brief statements. They are not long. Share about a time someone was generous with you. Think about it. Share about a time that someone was generous with you. What, give us the, the, the high-level story, and how did it make you feel? Go ahead. Okay, let me give you just really what I'll call the final question for sake of time. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt your stories. I'm so sorry. Um, but I'll just give you the final question, and, and these will be quick. We're just going to notice our time with the kids and things like that. But real quick, what is one takeaway that you're, you're, you're taking away from the sermon today or the scripture or the conversation? What has God put on your mind or your heart to share it with the group? And then 
What's one way that, that your group can remember to pray for you this week as we go out in our lives and we're doing our things? Just share a prayer request. It doesn't need to be long. These are quick answers. And then in a minute, we'll, we'll gather for communion, a brief communion, okay? So what's one takeaway and what's one prayer request, okay? Ready, set, go. Okay, dear friends, I'll ask us to come back up. It's now our opportunity to come to the table and celebrate uh, communion together. And um, today, instead of uh, long liturgy and a lot of words, I would just invite you to consider this idea of repentance as we come to the table. Um, there is something beautiful about this moment that reminds us of what Jesus has done in our lives. And before you come today, uh, maybe just take 10, 20, 30 seconds to quietly reflect as some music plays on the areas of your life that the Lord is calling you to. The repentance, the generosity, the beauty of being a part of our community together. And when you come up today, I'd like to just invite you, I'm just going to hold it just like this and just rip off a piece of the bread, which is gluten-free, incidentally, and then dip it into the juice and you can eat it right there and then return to your seat. And this will be our time of communion today. So may God bless you in this. Let me pray for us. And then you are welcome to come. The table will be open upon my amen. So let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for the calling in our lives to repent of our sins, to turn the other way and to walk away from a worldly way of living. And that in that repentance, the fruit that is born is generosity. And you have been so generous with us, God, and we love it. Now, as we come to your table and we remember the words of scripture that call us to celebrate this feast that means so much, may you bring to our minds and our hearts those things that we are still working through this lifelong journey of repentance and help us today turn away. And Father, give us a heart to overflow generosity even in this moment. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. Amen. The table is open. Come when you're ready.